we want to talk about today. The formula for happiness, not written by human hands, but written by holy hands, by the hands of God. But here's the thing. The world continually tries to tell us there's all sorts of other formulas for happiness. So don't worry about that one. Just choose any things like this. A lot of people say me plus job plus a house plus a family equals happy. It's the classic American dream. But for a teenager, the formula's more simple. Me plus a car equals happy. Then there's the nature lover formula. Me plus a backpack minus civilization equals happy. The sports fan says me plus my team plus the number one draft pick equals happy. And for the millionaire, it's me plus money plus even more money equals happy. The problem with these formulas is that other stuff messes with the equation. The millionaire meets a billionaire. Oh, yeah. The sports fan starts losing. The nature lover runs into a mother bear and her cubs. The teenager's formula gets way more complicated. And lately, the American dream hasn't been so dreamy. People have lost jobs and lost homes. Families are crumbling under the strain, and more people than ever are wondering, is there some other formula out there that can make me happy again? There is, but you won't find it out there. You'll find it in here. And you know the God who wrote the formula for happiness. Yes, happiness God wrote into a formula for us in the New Testament book of Philippians. From it, there are five daily habits that you can develop coming directly from the hand of your creator God to you. And the overarching thing about all this is, is that happiness is a choice. So we see in Philippians third chapter, the apostle Paul models five habits of happiness, which if you will do these on a daily basis, your happiness will go up greatly, even exponentially, while corresponding your unhappiness will drop dramatically. So what are we talking about here? Here's the first habit Philippians three points us to every day, relax in God's grace. Why? Because so many of us in our relationship with God don't do this, but we kind of go the other way, the religious route, defined by what it is that you do for God. But a grace relationship is defined by what God has done for you. You see, Jesus didn't come to make us religious. Jesus came for us to have a relationship with God. In Philippians 3, 3 in the Living Bible, in it, Paul says, we Christians glory in what Jesus Christ has done for us and realize that we are helpless to save ourselves. That's so true. And I really like the way the message paraphrase puts this. It says, we couldn't carry this off on our own efforts and we know it. See, we could never do enough religiously by our own power to ever measure up to God's standards. And that's why we have to relax and why we have to embrace God's grace. We have to realize, too, that there is a trap hidden inside of our developing each of these habits that will keep us from these things in our lives. The first trap here is legalism. Let me say legalism, man, it sucks the life out of churches. It sucks the life out of people, the life out of families and relationships. And so really, what is legalism? Legalism is depending upon what I do for God instead of depending on what God has done for me. Legalism is me trying to prove my worth to God by blindly following rules and regulations and rituals and things like that, and then often demanding everybody around me do the same thing and follow them as well. You see, legalism is based on law. 
In other words, if I just can keep the Ten Commandments, then God will smile on me. But there's a problem with that. No one can. We're all flawed. We all fall short. So please know that God loves you. And His love for you isn't based upon what you do. It's based upon who He is. But we really need to avoid this trap of legalism, friends. And in Philippians third chapter, Paul explains this in great detail in his own life. He says, before I became a Christian, man, I was a professional legalist. I was trying to earn God's favor by what I did and who I was. And Paul there lists all these different ways that he tried to earn God's favor. He tried to do this through baptism and circumcision, through riding the coattails of his race, saying, hey, I'm a Jew. I'm one of the chosen ones. He tried to do that through being religious, trying to keep each and every little rule. He tried to do that through building a rep as a straight and a narrow kind of guy. And that he's saying, hey, if you're looking for somebody who really did it right, you don't look any farther than me. But for some reason, he also says, that didn't really work out. I couldn't save myself by my good works because they really weren't good enough. And that's because God is perfect and we're not. And the only way to heaven is through God's grace. Often people start off in grace, but then they end up in works. For some reason, after they become Christians, they they do this thing where they switch channels and say, now I'm going to prove that I'm worthy of grace. But it doesn't work like that. No one ever makes themselves worthy of grace. So when it comes to this trap of legalism, how might you discover if you are a legalist? How would you discover if this trap has you? The easiest answer is, You're hard on other people around you. You're judgmental. On the other hand, how do you know if you're someone who is living by grace? It's really simple. You're gracious. And the way you discover that is if you're living by grace, are you gracious to other people around you? Perhaps you give them some slack. Perhaps you let them off the hook. You forgive them. Why? Because you're forgiven. Legalism, friends, is so confining while grace is so liberating. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 9, in the New International Version. He said, I'm no longer counting on being saved by being good enough, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right depends on faith. It's by faith. It's not our performance, but it's God's pardon. Peter Drucker, the father of modern business principles, was once asked, what was it that caused him to step from unbelief to your belief in Christ? This is what he had to say. He said, well, it happened on the day that I realized grace was the best deal that I could ever be offered in life. The same is true for you and me. We're never, ever going to get a better deal than God's grace. In fact, the word joy and grace in the Bible come from the same Greek root word, which means that grace and joy are related. Thus, the more you live in God's grace, the more happy you're going to be. The more you live by legalism, the more unhappy that you'll be. So the first habit of happiness is to realize God wants to give you a break. And he does that through love. So you and I, we need to give ourselves a break by accepting his love and relaxing in his grace. The second habit for happiness is this. Each day, every day, remember what matters most. We need to develop that as a daily habit. What matters most and what doesn't really matter at all? Why? If we don't do that, We're going to waste our time on trivial things, things that are inconsequential or things that are petty or things that don't really matter at all. And it's so easy, though, to get distracted by things, so easy to lose your joy over little things. 
like having to wait in a slow-moving line, being caught in traffic when you're late to an appointment, or realizing some beloved clothes don't really fit right anymore. And so you can lose your joy over little things. And Paul tells us this in Philippians 3, 7 in God's Word. Paul says, these things I once considered valuable, I now consider worthless for Christ. And so if I were to ask you, what kind of things were important in your life before you met Jesus Christ, what would you say? Could be hanging around the right kind of people, wearing the right kind of clothes, getting the right career, having money, having fun. Paul says, man, these things were once important in my genre too, but I now consider them worthless because of Christ. It's interesting when you first get serious about Christ, if you can think back to that time in your life, when you first became a Christian, all the different things you wanted to do and all the different changes that you wanted to make in your life, and a lot of that came pretty quickly. But culture instantly, on the other hand, does what? It starts enticing you to change those things back in your life. And that's the second trap, popular culture. Because everyone around you is telling you the stuff that's not important is really the stuff that's important. While they're telling you the stuff that really is important isn't all that important at all. It's the media. It's advertising. It's movies. It's television. It's books. It's songs. It's magazines. It's your friends. It's social media. They're all telling you what really matters is, are you looking good? Are you dressed in a certain way? You know, you're going to feel better about yourself if you have this or if you have that. They're also telling you that you're less than your best if you don't have this or you don't have that. It's because the right things, they say, bring with them the quality of life that you want and you need. In fact, so much of our economy is actually based upon this, trying to convince you the unimportant stuff is really what's important. So jump on that bandwagon, buy into it, join it, because that's what's going to make you happy. So here's a good question to ask yourself about this. How much is this thing going to matter 100 years from now? How much is this thing going to matter in five years? Or how much is this thing that I'm getting so stressed out over right now going to matter even a week from now? Instead, do this. Instead, live with things that are going to matter in eternity. Because there is no end to that happiness that will go on forever. Did you hear that? There is no end to that happiness from God that will go on forever. And if you tap into that, your anger, your fear, your frustration, they're going to go down. To counter the influence of culture with its strategy of mixing up what's important and unimportant, take a look at Philippians 3, 8, and 9 in the New Living Translation, where Paul says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Yes, all those things I used to think were so important, Paul says, they're not like garbage. And let me say, that word garbage is a politically correct term for manure. But Paul is saying here, all the stuff I used to think was so important that I used to get so stressed out about isn't worth poop. That is literally what Paul is saying here. It isn't worth poop. It isn't worth garbage when compared to my knowing Christ. So the first habit for Daily happiness each day and every day is to relax in God's grace. And the second habit for daily happiness is to remember the things that matter most. Here's the thing that is third. And let me just say, this is something that you may miss 
or you may kind of think is unimportant if you don't really focus on it. So here it is. Every day, get to know Jesus better. If you want to learn to get happy, you need to know Jesus every day just a little bit more and just a little bit better. So I know this isn't new to your ears. You've heard it before. But in this context, maybe it will be new to your heart. Every morning before you get out of bed, say to God, God, today, you know, I got all sorts of stuff I've got to do. But at the end of the day, God, let things happen so that I love you a little bit more and so that I know you a little bit better. And if that happens, man, you're going to have the most excellent day in spite of whatever frustrations you have, whatever delays, whatever setbacks you experience. Because most of those things aren't really going to matter next week. Most of them aren't going to matter day after tomorrow. Rather, what you've done, loving Jesus a little more, knowing him a little bit better, what you're doing is you're living with just a little more of those things that are going to matter in eternity. And again, there's no end to that happiness from God that's going to go on forever. And the result is that your anger, your fear, your frustration are correspondingly going to go down. Now, Paul in Philippians chapter 3, as we get to the 10th verse in the New International Version, says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to know Christ. In fact, some of the, you know, the most famous people, some of the most beloved celebrities of the last century had children who some of them wrote books about them like Mommy Dearest, and no names are going to be mentioned here. But their kids said they weren't really very nice people. They weren't really very good parents. And you see, there's a real difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. There's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God, just as there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And many may say, I know Jesus is the Son of God. Well, so does the devil say that. But he doesn't know him in his heart. In fact, the classic amplified version of this verse, Philippians 3.10 says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him and that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Thus, the words purpose and progressively mean that you don't get to know him all at once. They also mean you don't get to know him by accident. That means it's not going to happen automatically in your life. It's not automatic. It's not accidental. So if you're not purposeful, and you're not progressive in your knowing Jesus, you may be stuck. And the same truth began with the disciple Judas who got stuck. And what did Judas value most in his life? What did he think was going to make him happy? 30 pieces of silver. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver he thought would make him happy. But here's the sad truth. Jesus day after day after day gets sold out in our lives as well. By our not being more purposeful or not being more progressive and our loving him a little bit more every day and our getting to know him a little bit more every day. And why does that take place? It's because of the influence of less important things in our lives. So the trap here that's going to keep you from getting to know God better is this. And it may surprise you, the trap is busyness. Many are too busy to quietly sit down for a few uninterrupted moments one-on-one with God each day. To be quiet, to be still, and to ask God to talk about your life with him. You know, what's up with my life, God? What's going on? That we call prayer. It's also to see what God has to say about you in the Bible. And 
other inspirational readings. And the reason that we don't get to do that more often is we're just too busy. You can't really get to love Jesus more and to know God better without sitting down sometime one-on-one with them. As a matter of fact, yesterday I hadn't seen Matt, and we saw Matt at the service, some of us that were there. I hadn't seen Matt in months and months, and uh, it was great to sit down and have dinner with him. And then afterwards he came over to the house, and we spent like two hours just talking, talking, talking. Patty finally said, i got to go to bed. I'm sorry. But, you know, I wouldn't know all that I know about Matt now if I hadn't spent the time with him. Same way with God. All five of these habits we're talking about this morning you can do in 15 minutes a day. Just 15 minutes for all five of them if you aren't too busy. Psalm 46.10 in the NIV is familiar to us. says this, be still and know that I am God. But many people don't have any regularly scheduled time in their lives to do that. To be still with him, to get to know him better. And that's the third habit for happiness. And here's the fourth. And this could also fit into your quiet time with God. You could do all five of these things in 15 minutes. The fourth habit each day, every day is this. Ask yourselves, where do I need to grow? That one single thing will change your life like nothing other words. In other words, do a daily checkup. Measure your spiritual pulse. Ask, Lord, what do I need to work on? Where do I need to grow? And a good guide for this can be found in Psalm 139, 23, and 24 in the RSV. Two simple verses that you could memorize and ask yourself each day to say, God, search me and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. It's sometimes called the searchlight prayer. If you're out on the ocean adrift, this verse can lead you into God and into safety. And once you're there, you're saying, hey, God, shine your light on me. Show me what's wrong in my life. Show me where I need to grow. If you'll do that every day, man, you're going to soar spiritually. See, following Jesus is a decision followed by a process. You make a one-time decision to follow Jesus, and then you trust in his grace, and you grow the rest of your life through a process. A lot of us have started, but we haven't kept growing. It's kind of like the mom who heard this big thud coming from her child's bedroom, so she rushes in to find out what's going on, and he's laying on the floor right next to the bed. She asked him what happened, and he said, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. And a lot of people do that spiritually, stay too close to where they got into the faith. They have just enough gospel sometimes to bug them, but not always enough to really bless them. And they've got the decision, but they haven't got the growth very far past that in the process. And Paul tells us this in Philippians 3, 12 and 13 in the Living Bible. I don't mean to say I'm perfect. I haven't learned all I should even yet. But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers, I still am not all I should be. And you see, that's the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this when he was pretty much near the end of his life in old age. Now, this is I that wrote much of the New Testament. And even he says, hey, I haven't arrived I'm still not all I should be. If there was anyone who could say, I don't need to grow anymore, hey, I wrote the Bible, it would be Paul. But he didn't do that. He says, I still haven't arrived. He's very, very humble. And that's the opposite of the next trap here, which is pride. Pride will cause so much unhappiness in our lives because when you're prideful, you don't want to admit that you need to grow. When you're prideful, you don't want to admit when you're wrong. When you're prideful, you don't want to deal with any of that kind of stuff. And you get stuck. And other things in life get stuck as well. 
when you don't grow as a result of your being prideful. You see, pride is pretending, hey, I got it all together. And it's just the opposite. Because when you're pretending, your happiness is based on pretense. And happiness stands on truth. It comes from humility. And humble people are teachable people. They never stop growing. They never stop learning. They never stop developing. You ever worked with somebody closely who wasn't teachable? And they constantly knew what they were doing in spite of them running over people and running over processes and making life miserable for everybody around them. And that's kind of what we can sometimes do in our lives without realizing it. And so we need to ask that question, God, where do I need to grow every day? Because the moment that we stop growing, our happiness gets capped. Our happiness starts to fade. If you stop growing mentally or emotionally or spiritually or relationally, your happiness and your freedom will start slipping away. How do you know if you're growing? Well, it's embracing this fourth habit on a regular basis. What do I need to work on today, Lord? What do I need to work on this week? Is it patience or jealousy or envy or greed or forgiveness or boredom? What is it I need to deal with? 2 Corinthians 13, 45 in the message tells us this. Test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. So what God's saying is do a checkup, take a pulse, do an inventory. That's the fourth habit. But there is one more. Fifth habit for happiness is this. Forget what can't be changed and focus on the future. That's God's fifth secret of happiness for our lives. You can't change the past. Likewise, you can't control the future. Both those things have something in common. If you have them in your life, they're going to seriously mess up your today. And they're going to rob you of happiness. Because we hold on to those habits, hurts, and hang-ups, the griefs, the guilts, and the grudges, all of which cause much unhappiness in our life. You've got to let them go. But here's the truth. We've all been hurt a lot. Some of us have been deeply, deeply wounded. But if you hold on to the habits and the hurts and the hang-ups, if you hang on to the griefs, the guilts, the grudges, all you're doing is perpetuating the pain and wounding yourself again and again and again. No one's forcing you to hold on to that pain, although it seems like an insane statement. Are you choosing to hold on to the pain? In many cases, we do that without knowing it. Thus, you really got to let it go before those unhappy wounds can ever heal. I don't know about you, but I find myself often forgetting the things I'm supposed to remember. Duh. But I also find myself remembering things I really need to forget. Anybody relate to that? I found a wiring diagram as to how my brain works recently, so let me share it with you. It's how my brain works. Either I'm utterly obsessed with something and I can't get it off my mind, or I'm completely uninterested and I can't get it into my mind. Now, some of you may have married someone like that. If you're close to them, don't poke them right now. But for some of us, we find our brains work in that way. And sometimes it's under the surface. There's this under-the-surface obsession we have with painful things in our lives, causing us unhappiness in a hidden way. Thus, you've got to let it go. And here's what Paul says in Philippians 3rd chapter. We get to verse 13 in the New Living Translation. Paul says, I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. 
forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He says, all my energies. We certainly know that we don't have unlimited energy. That's why we get tired. That's why we get fatigued. And since we don't have unlimited energy, why waste any of it on something that can't change your past? Why give one more second of emotional energy to something that's never, ever going to change? Your past is past. You got to let it go. And thus Paul says, I forget the past and I look forward to the things that lie ahead. Let me say incredibly, there are three traps here. There are three things that are going to keep you stuck in the past. And the first is regret. Wishing you've done something differently. Second, guessing yourself, which is often accompanied by feelings of guilt and shame. But the Bible says there is no condemnation at all for those that are in Christ. You've got to let go of your regret. They're not going to change the future. And the second trap is unforgiveness. That'll keep you stuck in the past as well. Regret deals with what you've done to others. Unforgiveness deals with what others have done to you. And either one will keep you dead in the water. Either way, it'll keep you stuck in the past. You've got to let those things go. You see, holding on to unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person who hurt you. It only hurts yourself. It's like taking a gun, turning it on yourself, pulling the trigger, and then somehow hoping that the recoil is going to hurt them. It doesn't work that way. It only further wounds you. And for your own safety's sake, you have to let it go. Their trap that will keep you stuck in the past is tradition, as in, we've always done it that way, and we're not going to change. And if you find yourself being a we've-always-been-there kind of person, here's the thing, you're not going to be happy because the world is always changing, and you can do nothing to stop it. You cannot stop changes in your health. You cannot stop changes in society. You can't stop even changes in your own family. So your options are you get mad, you get angry, you get frustrated with the things that aren't the way they used to be, or you can choose instead to be happy in the midst of change. Happiness is a choice. And how you handle change in your life is definitely a reflection of your spiritual maturity. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 in the NIV says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Forget what can't be changed. Focus on the future. God is doing a new thing. Happiness is a choice. In 2013, the singer-songwriter Pharrell Williams was approached to do a song for the Minion movie Despicable Me 2. Any of you guys see that? Well, he came up with a song, you might have heard it, called Happy. Williams, he's a Christian, admittedly with some universalist leadings, but he stated with regard to those people out there who have concluded that God simply does not exist for Williams, it's amazing that there are people who can really believe that, that God doesn't exist. And so as I took a fresh look at the song Happy this week, I discovered that it's laced with some of the principles of happiness that God is showing us today. So with that in mind, see if you can recognize them and me as I share just a little bit of it with you.
God says the same thing. Come on, too. Come on, if you want to be truly happy, embrace and relax in my grace every day. Remember what matters most every day. Also get to know my son Jesus and ask, where do I need to grow every day? And please forget what can't be changed and focus on the future. You can develop all five of these habits, God says, and just 15 minutes attention to them each day. God says, come on, be happy.